right, we're going to jump right into this. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, team. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to go to Philippians 4, 8 through 9. How many of you know that the human brain, our minds, are the, is the most complex thing on the face of the earth? Anybody know that? Let me tell you a couple of facts about your brain. How many of you think that you're uh, below average in intelligence? All right. How many of you think you're average intelligence? How many of you think you're above average? How many of you think you're a genius? Aaron. Only Aaron. Okay. Oh, and I can't see who that is. Is that Rob? Yeah. Yes, I thought it was. So uh, our brains, let me tell you about our brains. Our brains are composed of, you ready for this? 78% water. 10% 10% lipids, 8% protein, 1% carbohydrates, 2% soluble organics, and 1% inorganic salt. And our brain generates 25 watts of power, which is enough to actually power a light bulb. Which is funny, right? Because when they say thinking, it's a light bulb, right? Turning on. Um, we have 100 billion neurons in the human brain, which equates to the same number of stars in our galaxy. That's how many neurons are in your brain and mine. A couple of us may have killed some of those hundreds of billions, but we're, we're, we've got a lot of neurons in our brains. And it says this, that the number of thoughts that a person has every day on average when they do a brain scan for 24 hours is about 70,000 thoughts. So you and I are having about uh, 2,500 or so or 3,000 thoughts per hour. 50 or 60 thoughts per minute. That's a lot of separate thoughts. Now, by the, my parents used to make fun of me because I would get in the zone, and I wouldn't tell you where, where I would be when I was in the zone, but indisposed, and I would just stare off into space as a little boy, and they swore that there was no brain activity during that period of time. But I made up for it the rest of the day because my brain was firing. But our brain is literally firing 70,000 thoughts per day, which tells me this. You and I have the ability. Are you ready for this? It's a really dirty five-letter word. To think. Think. The title of my message today is Think Differently, Taking Back the Church. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How many of you have heard that scripture before? Do you know what verse 9 says? Because it says, hey, dwell on these things. In other words, pattern your thoughts, your life, your actions after these things. Don't get caught up in anything that doesn't look pure, true, honorable, right, lovely, of good repute, worthy of praise. Don't allow your mind any of those 70,000 thoughts a day to get caught up in that. This is what you should be thinking about. And then verse 9 says this. It says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, talking about Jesus, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if there is ever a moment in time where the world needs the peace of God, 
This is, in my lifetime, the most turbulent, the most angry, the most frustrated, the most divided, the most torn atmosphere as a community, as a nation, as a world, I think I have ever seen. We have never had more people so extremely polarized in their thoughts, hateful, getting rid of friends and family members out of your life because someone does one thing one way or looks at what's going on a different way. If there's ever a time that we need peace, it's right now. But I want to tell you this. There's two types of peace and people who participate in peace. There's people that try to keep the peace, which is just go along with the flow. Don't think for yourself. Just maintain status quo. Don't rock the boat. But that's a false sense of peace. And it's a peace that won't last. And it's a peace that won't produce anything positive. It's literally the band-aid, if you will, of peace. And then there's peacemakers. It's what you and I are called to bring and to be. It's people who actively look at the world around us and see opportunities to assert the values and what we have heard and what we have seen and what we have witnessed and what we have uh, received of Jesus and the way he lived. And when we can take those principles and assert them into situations that are desperate for peace and unity and love and mercy and hope and mutual respect, we can become peacemakers and not just peacekeepers. And the legacy of our life as both Christ followers and just human beings will look a lot different if we realize that in order to create peace, you and I are going to have to think for ourselves. I want to tell you this right now. Our world is being hijacked by extreme political views, extreme worldviews, and by people who do not have your interest and my interest in mind. I'm not talking about one political party or another. It is the entire system that is trying to hijack faith, hijacked what's going on with race in our country, hijack everything that you and I have been called to create peace in is being hijacked, and you and I are no longer allowed, if you will, to think. If you're a Christian, you must do this. If you're this color, you must do this. If you're, if you, if you're young, you should be voting this way. If you're older, you should be voting this way. If you're this, everything has become so polarized that you and I, if we think, especially in the church, if we think and use our brains, we are labeled rebellious, we are labeled subversive, we are labeled all of these things that are negative for those of, those of us that actually think for ourselves. Thank you. Verse 9, though, says this. It says, listen, the things you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. And I want to propose something to you. I want to just very quickly, I'm going to run through this so fast, but I need you to hear every point of it. If you think that if Jesus walked the face of the earth today, that he would be blindly following a political party, a leader, a Nancy Pelosi or a Donald Trump, 
a Fox News or a CNN, if you think Jesus, if he walked the face of the earth today, would, be, would, would allow his life and actions to be dictated by some party line, by some ideology, by some specific orthodoxy, or even if we go into faith, by some certain denomination, you've got another thing coming. Do you know that Jesus, before he ever came to the earth, when he was prophesied about, that it said this, it said, uh, let me see, let me find this uh, in Luke 2. Actually, let me say this to you. Mary finds out she's pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth is already pregnant with John. Mary's finding out that she's pregnant. It's during this time where the foretelling of Jesus was. And this is what happens. The Spirit of the Lord falls on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she begins to prophesy what she has in her belly. How many of you mamas... I've heard you experience it. I've never experienced it myself, obviously. I look like I have, but I haven't. How many of you mamas, when you were pregnant, you kind of knew what was coming? You knew if this was going to be a peaceful baby. You knew if it was going to be a feisty one. You knew if it was going to give you a run for your money or not before it ever came out. Mary is the foretelling of Jesus, the prophetic unction of, of this is what's getting ready to come happens in the verses before this. And Mary begins to prophesy over what is in her womb. And she doesn't prophesy Jesus to go with the flow. She doesn't prophesy this is the guy who's going to come and get along with everybody. She doesn't prophesy Jesus going to play nice. He's going to be on the playground and say, what do y'all want to do? That sounds great. This is what she prophesies. Are you ready? This is our king and our savior. And the one that in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Philippians here that we just read, it says, hey, Pattern your life and your thoughts and your actions after what you've seen and received and heard about him. Do you know what she says in Luke? Luke 1, you can put that on the screen for those at home. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich empty-handed. Y'all are looking at me like shocked that Mary prophesied over this. When the angel of the Lord came, when Jesus was born in Luke 2, it says the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and he is the Lord. Some of those versions of the Bible says a king has been given unto you. Do you know how insane what a label and a target on his life that God put from the very beginning to label him as king. Everything in the Roman kingdom was about Caesar and Caesar's power. If you looked at Caesar the wrong way, you were dead. He would kill his own family members if he thought they were trying to take the throne. And God comes to the angel of the Lord and says, Caesar, you think you're king, but the king of kings has arrived in a little town called Bethlehem. The very birth of Jesus was a... I don't, it was... I don't know how to say it because there's children here. But it was a giant you-know-what to the establishment of government. Can you all handle this today? We're going to go after it. Jesus came, and the very announcement of his birth was, hey, 
I know you guys think you got this figured out. And I know, Caesar, you think you're powerful and your kingdom can never be stopped. But there is a king of kings who is born that every king, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord and he is come and his kingdom will be established and it won't look like any kingdom of this world. So watch out. How do you think that went over? The first act, I'm just, hey, if Philippians says, learn from this guy, pattern your life after this guy, think and allow your brains and thoughts to be patterned after the way he thought, the way he looked at situations, the way he lived, the way he encountered the world around him. Okay, let's keep looking at it. Mark 2, 23, you can put that up, Stephen. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, of course, said to him, why are they doing this? It is unlawful to do this on the Sabbath. The first recorded moment of the ministry, public ministry of Jesus, is him breaking the law of the Sabbath. All you out there with felonies are like, all right now. I'm going to keep going. Mark 2, he comes to the scribes. He says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He goes and he challenges the scribes. Then the teachers of the law in Mark 12, 38, as he taught, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace. Does this sound like a peace keeper or a peacemaker? Does this sound like somebody who has come to stir it up or someone that's come to get along? Does this sound like someone who's come to face and destroy injustice or someone who's come to turn the other cheek and look the other way? I'm preaching this thing. Mark 14, 55, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they can put him to death, but they did not find any. You see it again in Mark 2, 16 with the Pharisees. We see it in Jesus that he disobeyed the Jewish purity restrictions by having contact with lepers. We see that he disobeyed the Jewish purity standards when he had contact with the disabled. He upturned the Old Testament code of teaching in Matthew 5.38, where he comes in and he says on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you have heard this established and you've grown up with it. And for generation after generation, you thought this, but I'm going to say something different to you. He thought differently. You say, well, that's not a good little Jewish boy. Challenge the scribes, where's your respect? Challenge the Pharisees, challenge the teachers of the laws, challenge the government, challenge uh, the very teachings that he was raised on. How dare this man say to them, you've heard it said, but I'm getting ready to show you something different. In Luke 9, we have Zacchaeus stood up and says to the Lord after they have a conversation, Lord, I, I, I get it now. 
I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and I've cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save which is lost. See, Zacchaeus tapped in for a moment after all the nonsense Zacchaeus has done, for all the stuff that he had participated in, for all the people he had ripped off. He gets it in a moment. It isn't about gaining wealth. It isn't about adding to myself. He says, I'm going to give everything I have, half of it to the poor, and I will make up to anyone I've ever cheated before. And I love this because Jesus says, Zacchaeus, now you're thinking. Now you understand salvation. Now you understand my mindset. Now you're starting to think differently. And when you begin to think differently, you'll understand that I came to seek and save that which was lost. And in a time where people are buckling down and they are, they are, they are, you know, going all in with their chips on, I know I'm right. And I know this people group is wrong. These people's lives matter. Those people's lives matter. I'm going there. With all of the division that you and I have participated in, with all the nonsense that we have been a part of, at the end of the day, if people are desperate, hurting, or lost, if we think differently, we'll realize that if Jesus was here, he'd be in the mix with them. He'd be healing the lepers. He'd be, come on, restoring sight to the blind. He'd be going after issues of injustice. He'd be reaching out across the aisle. He wouldn't be looking for a D or an R. He'd be looking for humanity and doing what's right. And Zacchaeus got it. He said, I'll give half of what I have away. Well, Pastor Dan, that sounds like socialist wealth distribution. Well, take it up with Jesus. Pastor Dan, are you a socialist? No. Are you conservative? No. Are you a liberal? No. The kingdom that I serve is above any liberal, conservative, socialist, libertarian, green party, birthday party. Y'all know Kanye, right? Martha, I serve a God and a king who came to destroy and tear down any establishment, come on, that would oppress people, that would turn people away, that would make anyone feel like they didn't belong. I came to serve a king of kings and lord of lords that looked the establishment in the face and said, I got some questions for you. I see things a little bit differently. I'm going to be real with you. We recently had somebody, a part of our leadership team here, that left because of the questions we've been asking as a group. I'm just going to be straightforward with you. And the idea that we were asking questions about our government, not a political party, but our government in total. Anybody here thrilled with our government one way or another? Let's be real. You think those guys are doing a great job up there and accomplishing a lot when they get together in Congress? I don't think any of us are happy. And so I recently had somebody say, you know, I'm moving on from Harvest because I feel like you guys are unpatriotic. I want to tell you this right now. I am fiercely patriotic to my nation, but I am more loyal to a kingdom and a nation that is greater than this country. Come on. I had two, I had two grandfathers that fought in the war. I had one that received a Purple Heart. I, and, and a bronze star. My grandmother's first husband died in the war. She didn't even have a person come to her door to let her know that her husband had passed away. She just got it in a telegram. I have seen the, the sacrifice of men and women of our country that have fought for us and fought for other nations that we had 
you know, no reason to be there other than to try to free them. I have seen the sacrifice. I believe that we are noble. I believe that this nation is noble. I believe that we were founded on, on godly principles. I believe all of that right now. But I'm going to tell you right now, we are being hijacked by two opposing power houses. We are being hijacked. Our faith, our nation, our Christianity is being hijacked, and you and I are being asked to divert into one stream or another. And if you stop midstream and say, hold on a second, I won't be forced into this decision to go one way or another. You're swept away. You're made to look like you're mamby-pamby. Either you have no faith or you hate people. But I want to tell you right now, Jesus would never be forced into an if and or question. He would never be forced into that situation. If he came to the fork in the road and there was one stream over here and one stream over here, he would probably just tear out the middle part and make everybody just jumble together in one stream because he was never about dividing. He was always about bringing people together. And he challenged and he challenged and he challenged. So I'm going to propose this to you. The most patriotic thing you can do, the most loyal thing you can do to our nation and this world is ask questions, is think differently, is have a mind of your own, and speak up when something doesn't look right. And if all 15 of your friends think the same way, and you think something differently, don't be afraid to offer up your perspective, because I'm telling you right now, I will not be a sheep led to slaughter. Come on. I'm going to get even a little nastier. Y'all ready for this? Joe Biden. And Donald Trump don't care about you. Newsflash, they don't care about you. You don't get to that position caring about people. You get to that position by doing a lot of dirty stuff. And the power and the politics and the way people have been taken advantage of, at the end of the day, no matter who's elected, no matter what political party's in power, None of that matters if you and I are focused on thinking and living and acting according to what we have seen and heard and received of Jesus. Are you with me? You know what's wrong right now? Y'all are trying to figure out which side I'm on. I ain't on either one. I have abandoned all of that nonsense because it is, it is, it is not fruitful. It is not, it is you know what it's not? Let me tell you what it's not. You tell me one political argument, one political meme, one debate that you've watched or will watch that had anything in it that was true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. Well, the Bible says your 70,000 thoughts a day should be only those things. No wonder we're the most depressed people on the face of the earth. No wonder we're taking pills like Cheerios. No wonder we are drinking and, and, and putting substances in our body and can't sleep at night. What if we took our minds and began to think and dwell on what Jesus thought and dwell about, which is what is true, what is honorable, what is lovely, what is just, what is worthy of praise. That's what I will live the very existence of my life and my mind and my actions and my being out of. So I declare to you this. <laughs> it's time for us to reimagine religion. It's time for us to challenge authority, including local authority. You hear, are you with me? 
And it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time to overturn some tables. Do you know that the temple had become the Jewish version of Wall Street? The economic center and control of Jewish society had become the temple. It wasn't one Sunday or Saturday. They just decided, today we're turning the temple into a marketplace. And Jesus heard about it. That's how he was told as, as children. Jesus heard about it and rushed in and was like, what are you guys doing? No, 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 no. It had been established that the temple was being used as Jewish Wall Street, where major commodities were being traded. And Jesus had enough. And he came in, and one of the only acts that we see of an angry, upset Jesus, he comes in and begins to flip over the tables of the stronghold of this Jewish Wall Street, this establishment that had crept into the church, and he began to turn these tables over and say, not here. This is Jesus we're talking about, the one that came to tear down rulers, the one that came to free the oppressed, the one that came to tell Zacchaeus, hey, you need to help some more people. You got it, buddy. Get half your wealth and give it to somebody. The one that came to set every captive free, the one that came to establish uh, uh, his kingdom, regardless of what kingdom was being established, the one that came to look the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes in the face and say, no, 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 you've got it wrong. The one that came on the temple of the mount and said, hey, you've heard it said, but I'm getting ready to change your perspective. The one that came and encountered every situation and thought to himself, hmm, what's wrong with this? How can we fix it? How is this oppressing people? How is this wrong? How can we do something about this? How can we apply my, the blood sacrifice of my life and the principles of my father to this situation? That This is the one today that's asking you and I to duplicate, to replicate, to pattern our thoughts, our lives, our actions, our existence, and our future after what we've seen and learned and heard of him. And then we know the end of the story, the establishment that he came to tear down and reform, the powerful government that, came, that he came to say, your kingdom is of this world, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's hot, so we're going to finish right here. That kingdom, that, that, that establishment that government that the people had looked to then go ahead and execute him. But the joke was on them because in his execution and three days later, his resurrection, he proved, are you ready? He proved that when you think differently, when you begin to challenge the status quo, when you stand up for the unpopular opinion, when you face things that, when you go against the tide and face things that create fear and anxiety and worry in our lives, he proved that although they may kill you, you haven't really fully lived. Come on, you haven't fu really fully understood what it's like to live until you've begun to live like this. I love this picture because they kill him thinking that it's going to be the end of this 
this uprising, this upheaval, this we've got to kill this, we've got to get rid of this. He's walking around telling people he's Caesar, he's king, that they should follow him, that they shouldn't listen to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and, and the, the teachers of the law. He, he's walking into the temples and, and reading scriptures from Isaiah saying, and then, then closing the book and sitting down but not finishing the scripture. He's leaving off the part about the vengeance of God. He, he, he's just, he's messing with us. He's just, he's a troublemaker. He's subversive. He's, he's, he, he's a rebel. He's, he's a revolutionary. We've got to get rid of him. We've got, to, we've got to quell this rebellion. And that establishment kills him, takes him out. And the joke's on him because in that moment, as the prophecies were fulfilled and three days later, he rises from the dead. With him comes the power, the freedom, the commandment from heaven over your life and mine that we will never, ever, ever, ever again sit quietly and idly by when we have an opportunity to make peace, to create peace, to bring justice and hope in situations that desperately need us. You might be a passive person, not quite as aggressive as I am, but you're still called to create and make peace. We, the church, must hear the call of heaven as I close. We must feel in our veins. I want you to burn inside of your body. I want you to to feel the righteous indignation of heaven when you see wrong, when you see injustice, when you see things that you know you need to step into that might be unpopular in your people group or your circle. It's time that we stand up. And I want to tell you this. This church will not be quiet. We will not be silent. We will not stop. We will not. There is nothing that can stop us from lifting our voice up. And we don't have a political agenda. We have a revival agenda. We have an agenda of seeing people come to the knowledge and fullness of the grace of Jesus. We have a desire to see hungry people be fed and poor people lifted up and people who feel uh, in, uh, that injustice has been done to them have them believe that somebody is for them and with them and walk hand in hand. We believe that it is time to stand up for, for single mothers and, and, and the elderly and the destitute and the disabled and the lepers of our society and the groups that have been cast away. We don't care if it's popular in Christianity, we will stand up and lift our voice as a church and say, what is right is right. I want to keep my thoughts and my actions on what is right and lovely and worthy of praise. And I want to pattern my life and our church and one another and our interactions after him, what we have seen, what we have received, and what we have heard of him. That's my cry this morning. It's hot. I have to send you home. But you got to just get this and hear this and feel this and give the Lord a hand clap of praise as we are done today. And it's time. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now and thank Jesus that your heart, that your mind, that your veins are being filled with the thoughts of heaven. That I believe right now that Jesus is beginning to awaken inside of you a desire to think differently, to challenge everything you see, to participate and being a part of creating peace and not just making peace. 
creating situations where mercy and grace can flow, even if we don't believe people deserve it, because you and I didn't. Right now, God is anointing your mind and your spirit and your heart and marking you that you would never be the same, that your heart and mind would expand and never be able to shrink back again. Because Jesus came, he was prophesied about, he lived his life, and he even died challenging what everyone said was just, it's fine, it's good, it's good, whatever, it's okay, it's okay. He challenged, and he challenged, and he thought, and he, and he was different, and he, and he came so that peace could come, so that joy could come, so hope could come, so freedom could come. I believe right now we're experiencing that. Let's just lift our hands as I pray, and we close this here today. Father, we thank you as we receive the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of what we received, heard, and learned of him, the fullness of his heart to come. Some would say that it was subversive. Some would say he was a revolutionary. Some would say he was a rebel. I don't know what fits him but God, but I know that he came so that we might have life and life more abundantly. I know that he came to challenge. I know that he came to ask questions. I know that he came to think differently. I know that he came to tear down religious systems that had controlled people. I know he came to challenge the establishment. So God, light that fire inside of us. Let the reformers fire, that Martin Luther fire that posted those theses on the door of the church, the fire that you put in Martin Luther King Jr. as he spoke and began to challenge things that were wrong, that same reformers fire from our forefathers, God. Let it burn in our hearts that we would live our life to see change happen, to see peace come in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's leave here. Think differently and take back the church. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you live online Wednesday night. Thank you guys in the cars. We'll see you live online Wednesday night and back here for our drive-in next Sunday.